My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens, and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. From the beginning of time, nations and people have faced unforeseen challenges, including large-scale and very dangerous health threats. This is the way it always was and always will be. It only matters how you respond, and we are responding with great speed and professionalism. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and put in place the first federally mandated quarantine in over 50 years. We declared a public health emergency and issued the highest level of travel warning on other countries as the virus spread its horrible infection. And taking early, intense action, we have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States than are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings, and these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. These restrictions will also not apply to the United Kingdom. At the same time, we are monitoring the situation in China and the South Korea. And as their situation improves, we will reevaluate the restrictions and warnings that are currently in place for a possible early opening. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments, and to prevent surprise medical billing. In the past two weeks, the number of cases of COVID-19 outside China has increased 13-fold. And the number of affected countries has tripled. There are now more than 118,000 cases in 114 countries and 4,291 people 
have lost their lives. Thousands more are fighting for their lives in hospitals. In the days and weeks ahead, we expect to see the number of cases, the number of deaths, and the number of affected countries climb even higher. WHO has been assessing this outbreak around the clock and we're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly or carelessly. It's a word that, if misused, can cause unreasonable fear or unjustified acceptance that the fight is over, leading to unnecessary suffering and death. Emergency rooms are being overwhelmed with patients. These treatments will significantly reduce the impact and reach of the virus. Additionally, last week I signed into law an $8.3 billion funding bill to help CDC and other government agencies fight the virus and support vaccines, treatments, and distribution of medical supplies. Testing and testing capabilities are expanding rapidly day by day. We are moving very quickly. The vast majority of Americans, the risk is very, very low. Young and healthy people can expect to recover fully and quickly if they should get the virus. The highest risk is for elderly population with underlying health conditions. The elderly population must be very, very careful. In particular, we are strongly advising that nursing homes for the elderly suspend all medically unnecessary visits. In general, older Americans should also avoid non-essential travel in crowded areas. My administration is coordinating directly with communities with the largest outbreaks, and we have issued guidance on school closures, social distancing, and reducing large gatherings. folks all right there was a blast from the past there and uh we're going to be doing a serious serious stream today because we have to do a rapid response to um this week in virology and the narrative control that they're desperately desperately trying to cling to and so myself and charles are going to um break down their latest twiv episode hopefully do it in a manner that um is 
fairly concise and so that people can refer to this. And let me bring Charles onto the screen right now. I hope the soundboard is clean. Should be. Yeah, I just off. Second me. All right. Charles, how are you, sir? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I, I had to turn off the... I was already getting ready with the TWIV. I'm super excited, so... Let me just get the chat off your uh, your face and onto mine. Um, yeah, so, you know, we both... Well, we didn't even get through to finishing it before deciding out. Ah, we've got... A, we have to do something here. Um, there's very obvious... Uh, well, they're just lies, basically, as we, as we now know. Um, we may have suspected a couple of years ago, but... Now we know, and I think we have to address each one of those lies. It's not a case of just saying this conference that they were at was, I don't know, not fit for purpose, let's say. Um, we, have to, we have to be methodical, but we want to try and be concise, correct? Uh, that is correct, and I... Um... <sighs> As you, you, your audience knows who I am, and obviously I've been on your show dozens of times now, and I've been, well, I've been all over the place, but, but today, I, I really want to speak specifically to the people who are on this this uh, episode of TWIV, um, this week in virology. Uh, it's a show hosted by Vincent Racaniello, who's a professor from Columbia University. And this was a panel discussion that he had at some uh, conference that took place at the University of Pennsylvania, which just so happened to include um, Susan Weiss, who most people aren't familiar with. But they're I going to be. They will, yes. It included a former FBI agent uh, who's offering some his own perspective on various intelligence related things which i also will be offering some of my own personal uh, perspective on and um also gg granval yet another person a so-called biosafety expert who despite being a biosafety expert her opinions basically fall in line with with the natural origin hypothesis people or their team and um and we're going to expose basically the, the the main reason that i wanted to have this stream and the main reason that i wanted to really kind of have some control over it is because um i started watching this this episode i've i've seen dozens of episodes of this particular of what Vincent Racaniello does with TWIV. And I called it, or we decided to call this stream TWIT instead of TWIV because and that stands for This Week in Tautology. Because uh, basically what's been happening is uh, things have been repeated over and over again. And the entire intent of that 
repetition was so that way people just assume that they're true. And in combination with that repetition over the last three and a half years, it's been paired with censorship. And so I guess this would be a good, a good way to kind of introduce myself to the other side. Uh, now, I know that there's a lot of people from the proximal, Zuanati, whatever you want to call them, from the natural origin supporting side, the Fauci side, if you will, who know who I am because I I see them reading my things on ResearchGate. Uh, I've A long time ago, I had interactions with Eddie Holmes, with Angie Rasmussen, uh, and Christian Anderson, I believe, um, back before they they knew that I was part of Drastic. <clears throat> Um, but because I've been so censored, because even though I've I've gained quite a following, and uh, and that that I just want to make absolutely sure that that their side understands who I am, because I'm tired of watching this kind of from the sidelines, trying to to be more. I'm tired of being reactive. It's time, it's time that they understood a little bit more clearly what's going on because it's been three and a half years, and uh, it's it's time for the gloves to come off. So, what what I want the 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 authors of the proximal origin, what I want Dr. Fauci and Vincent Racaniello and Angela Rasmussen and Susan Weiss and all these other people to know is that I'm not a scientist. Now I've been working with a lot of scientists and other researchers for, well, almost three years now as part of the drastic group, the same group that, that for a long time was panned. And um, what I want them to understand first and foremost is that I'm not a scientist. I am a, I would consider myself a researcher. I do have You're a bio degree. warfare specialist, Charles. I don't. Well, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna get there. I have a master's degree in history, but more importantly, as a profession, my job was uh, in seaburn defense. I know Gigi Gronval will know what that is. Uh, in the United States Marine Corps for 15 years, and in that capacity, I, for the most part, the the average seaburn person in the military. And Seaburn stands for chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear defense, and that is a NATO term. So I know that anybody who's watching this from any NATO country will know exactly what I'm referring to. And what that means is weapons of mass destruction. I'm an expert in chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons, and toxicological and radiological weapons. I've done advanced modeling at the Defense Nuclear Weapons School. I was an instructor for the United States Marine Corps' Um, Seaburn School. I taught enlisted and warrant officer students from the Marine Corps and the Army, and I rewrote their curriculum in the last year that I was there. I also spent eight years as the Seaburn Chief of Marine Corps Embassy Security Group, which basically controls the all of our 2,000 uh, embassy security guards across 188 embassies and consulates around the world. So I know how the, uh, the Department of State world 
you're supposed to respond to things like this. I know how the Department of Defense deals with things like this. And my the entire purpose of our job in the military is to act as advisors to commanders so that if a WMD event occurs, our job is to, to gather intelligence and information and provide advice to a commanding a commanding or combatant commander in the field about how to mitigate that threat, uh, protect the troops, etc. And also, I'm very well versed in how we deal with that here at home. So I'm familiar with public health measures and everything. And that was all prior to 2020. Um, so having said that, I, I kind of came to this by accident. I, I was just personally interested in the pandemic and it seemed very strange to me. I was already out of the Marine Corps after 15 years, um, working on an MBA. And after I started investigating it, I became a member of Drastic and I've been a member of Drastic for two and a half years. Uh, I, they don't need any introduction. <clears throat> um, I've also been involved with several different other groups of time. I've worked with Dr. Quay. I'm friends with Alex Washburn, with Andrew Huff. Let's see, well, with, with Dr. McCarran, with uh, Richard Fleming. Um, I, I know Brooke Jackson. So basically all the whistleblowers, I've, I've met Li Ming Yan. And, uh, but I also know Major Murphy, Major Joseph Murphy. And the reason I know that is because I am the person who worked with Major Murphy to release the diffused documents. But five months before Project Veritas released his IG whistleblower complaint, I released through Drastic the diffuse proposal. And so I know very much. I know far more than is even public regarding the diffuse proposal. I know more than that about DARPA. And I know more than that about EcoHealth Alliance. Having talked, once again, I, I've met Andrew Huff. I've, um, I work with him quite frequently. <clears throat> and I've also, uh, let's see. Um, I also, uh, I co-wrote a special with Glenn Beck that had millions of views on YouTube, despite being censored. I was the person who discovered that Kelvin Drogemeyer was working with a lot of your friends, Vincent, uh, on February, beginning on February 3rd of 2020. I discovered that. And even though most of that hasn't been really come into the public domain, I discovered that in in February of 2021, four months before Dr. Fauci's emails were released. And Congress knows that. And so Congress knew before his emails were released that Dr. Fauci was involved in conspiring to cover up the research ties between the United States and China, specifically the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But it goes deeper than that. And as we go through this, I'll discuss more about it. But uh, my last position, I served as a consultant for uh, RFK Jr., uh, helping him write the book that's going to be coming, the sequel to The Real Anthony Fauci. It's going to come out later this year. And obviously, that's kind of been put in the back burner because he's now running for president. But the bottom line is, is what I, 
my point is that I, I want to say that I know what I'm talking about. During the last three years, I've read more than 3,000 scientific papers, including all of the major papers that leading up in the decades, leading up to now. And, um, and I think, well, that's an introduction for me, Kevin. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add before I take over control of the um, I would I would just add this as a formal response is that we have a very very good handle not only on the virology the pathology and the networks and connections that have been working to gaslight the public and we will be bringing it to Congress we will be bringing it into the courts and this is as we break down this video this will let them know that uh, we know <laughs> We know what they're doing and how much they are lying. And I think that's enough for me. I think we can just start getting in. You take control of the screen and then we'll, we'll address each, um, each of the fallacious points that they bring up. Ah, uh, yes, fallacious. <clears throat> Listen, I get that. That was a good double entendre, Kevin. Um, but we won't, we won't explain that too much in depth. <clears throat> Uh, so, so one final proviso before I begin, what I want to say is that all the commentary that I'm going to provide, this is a, this is only an hour video and we're not going to play all of it. Um, but all of the con, all of the, everything that I'm going to provide, everything I'm going to say, much of it has already been put into writing. A good portion of that writing is part of affidavits that are going to be part of sworn testimony and uh, grand jury hearings that are about to begin. So when I say, when I discuss the diffuse proposal, when I discuss the lies of these people, I, I want them to understand. I want the audience to understand that I'm saying this under penalty of, that I will be saying this under penalty of perjury, some of which already is um, in that process. So I mean it. I was two classes away from finishing my MBA. And if not for the pandemic right now, I'd be in law school. So I understand what slander is. And I understand what perjury is. And that's why I'm doing this now. Because it's time to set the record straight. It's time to lay some things out, call out some things that need to be called out. Because while they have controlled the narrative for three and a half years, that time is going to be coming to an end very, very soon. So we will just go ahead and begin, and then I would just be stopping at various points to offer commentary or to show evidence in support of anything that I say. <laughs> Can you hear it okay? okay uh, so 20... It's a little on the quiet side. But I, okay. So I think... it's... Uh, Oh, yeah, okay, just there we go. I got, max, I got it. Max out. Yeah. I think you're okay. okay. Very good. All right, so let's start. So let me, f and I encourage all of you to jump in at any time whenever you hear something that you'd like to say. So I think I've heard a poll w which says that over half of Americans polled uh, think that SARS CoV 2 came from a laboratory. And um, to me, this is very disturbing as a. Oh, just pause it there, please, uh, Charles. And there, Susan, let's start this. Um, that's a that's a good result. That's a that's a win. That means we are winning. And so, what Charles is adding to this, these people are scared. 
right now. They're scared of the masses and they're scrambling to maintain their positions of privilege. That's all I, I'm, I'm going to say at this point. Oh, yeah. And they're actually, they're actually fudging the numbers here because in December of 2021, uh, there was a poll taken that showed that 72% of all Americans felt that the origin of the virus was a lab. Now, there have been multiple polls, but that was 18 months ago. So I don't know what he's specifically referring to, but I've seen this several times where they will downplay the support that the lab leak, the, the lab origin hypothesis has. And if I remember correctly, and unfortunately for them, I have a very good memory, approximately 84% of Republicans and 62% of Democrats in December of 2021 leaned in the direction of the lab origin hypothesis. So it's not just that we've already, or it's not just that we're winning, it's that we, we have been winning. And the only reason that we that doesn't feel that way is because a, a portion of the media is wholly controlled by people who don't want this to, they don't want this discussion to take place. And for, for these virologists, I want them to know that something I didn't mention in my introduction is that I, I have been quantifying and tracking that censorship across several thousand television, journal articles, news commentaries, etc., for the last two and a half, three years, all of which um, has been available to congressional investigators for at least two years, and whom I've talked to directly at least once in person with several of them. So these things are aware the Capitol Hill is aware of these things. Discussion. There are two scenarios. One is that the virus, and, and this has to do with a laboratory in Wuhan, China, where the, the epidemic, the pandemic began, the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, that it was either purposefully made in a laboratory or that it accidentally escaped a laboratory. And I wanted to ask you, before we talk about SARS-CoV-2, did we have similar discussions with SARS in 2003? I, I don't think that we did. However, um, during the SARS-2 epidemic, pandemic, I received um, some anonymous uh, book that was describing that actually SARS-1 was, was made, was, was made by humans. The same. So what Susan Weiss is referring to is a, is a 2015 study it was actually published as a book in China uh, by a bioweapons expert, a military bioweapons expert in China, written in Chinese, that discusses the hypothesis that SARS-1 was actually a U.S. bioweapon that was released in China. Now, I, I don't necessarily – there's not evidence to say one way or another that that's the case, but there is evidence to suggest – that there has been manipulation for at least a decade in terms of artificial viruses being present all over the place within the phylogenetic tree. And, uh, and let's be very clear, SARS, SARS is classed as a biowarfare agent. Um, that's that's oh, its legal. Yes. Um, that's you know, no, need, no need to beat around the bush with respect to its classification. So um, it is a, a, a serious pathogen that was receiving, now we know, hundreds of millions of dollars of 
research, particularly from Department of Defense, um, NIH. The two are joined at the hip, and these people on the screen are trying desperately to obfuscate these relationships and these study programs. Yes, in fact, since since we're paused, the lady on the right-hand side, her name is Susan Weiss. She's a senior tenured professor, at the very least, at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, she's a very senior, highly regarded virologist, and she knows all about coronaviruses. And as it just so happens, what I want people to understand is that this woman, just like the authors of The Proximal Origin, so Christian Anderson, Eddie Holmes, Robert Gary, uh, Ian Lipkin, and Andrew Rambo, she is also in we've we've received we found FOIA emails in which Susan Weiss, that same person, expresses serious concerns about the coronavirus. When in early February of 2020, at the exact time when she is a co-author on a paper that is working with Chinese scientists, also with Linda Safe from Ohio State University, and uh, Shen Lu, Lu Shen, and Shen Liu Lu, I believe those are, or Li Shen Su, I believe those are all the authors. And it was also, there were, there were ghostwritten edits from both Jing uh, Li Shi and Ralph Barrick on that same paper. And this is in addition to the Lancet paper. Uh, all of this was happening in the same two-week span. So Susan Weiss is one of those people. And one thing that I want to show here, uh, let's see. There's, there's a lot of tabs, and I've got that thing right up there, right in my way. Ah, here we go. So this was an article that I wrote on August 27th of 2021. And if we take a look at it, right there, smack in the middle. This Top tier called, meme, bro. <laughs> this article is called The Disingenuous Dozen. And the reason I named it that is this was number eight. This was the eighth in a series that also included the previous article was called um, uh, Who Watches the Watchmen? And it was that article that was picked up by The Blaze and by Zero Hedge and was seen 250,000 times. <clears throat> And this was a sequel, and these dozen faces, these, I, I chose them because these 12 people were responsible for writing either the Proximal Origin or another companion paper. And those two papers were the, well, the Proximal Origin is, was at the time the second, actually, actually at the at the exact moment it was released, it was the most read paper in the history of science in terms of it had the highest altmetric score. So you factor in media and social media uh, attention. It had the biggest impact ever. And it, it was exceeded the same day by the Imperial College of London study <laughs> written by people tied to these scientists so the so at the time the two most impactful scientists scientific articles of all time came out on 
on March 17th of 2020. And the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2 was one. Well, a third article had already come out in a journal that was wholly controlled by uh, the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And Susan Weiss was one of the authors on that paper. And so all 12 of these individuals on the screen published a paper in early 2020 about the origin of the coronavirus in which they stated that it was natural. And we have proof for all 12 of these individuals that in private, amongst talking amongst each other in emails, that they believed the exact opposite at the same time that they were writing those articles. And Susan Weiss is one of those people. Now, what did Susan Weiss say? Let's find out. And yes, I made many memes over the years about this. Let's see if I can find a good one. So there's there's Ralph Barrick talking about it. Here we go, Susan Weiss. So February 16th, one day before the, um, the Lancet letter was released, if I recall, maybe two days. Susan Weiss is talking to Shen Lu Liu, who's at Ohio State, who, by the way, has deep connections back in China. And she says, do you, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> do you think it could come from a bat virus? Which one? Or an unpublished one? RATG13 is the closest. Is it close enough in sequence? Do you think that it came through an intermediate host and sequence drifted? <clears throat> This is a very chilling idea. Now, the email previous to this, they had been talking about the furin cleavage site. And so her response to this was, this is a very chilling idea. Do you oh. think it could have come from an unpublished backbone? Go ahead. Um, I'm just looking at the text at the bottom, and I'm presuming that's the email that they're responding to it's it's worth reading yeah, well, that out yes so I, I was going to get there so so this is actually two of her responses in a row because i was highlighting her specifically in that in this paragraph so she sends that message and then she receives a reply that i show somewhere else and then she sends another response and this one says henry and i have been speculating. This is Susan Weiss. So in, about, in a moment when we play the video, I want you to remember that the same person was writing this right at, this, at the time back in early 2020. Henry and I have been speculating. How can that site have appeared at the S1, S2 border? I hate to think it was engineered. Among the, the MHV strains, the mouse hepatitis virus Mouse, I think that's what it is, mouse hepatitis virus strains, the cleavage site does not increase pathogenicity. While it does affect entry route, surface versus endosome. So for me, the only significance of this furin, of this furin site is as a marker for where the virus came from. Frightening to think it might have been engineered. <clears throat> And now let's listen to what she says, what she literally said six hours ago. Same woman, Susan Weiss, 
scenario, although I hadn't heard it at the time. So there were, were, apparently there are people that think that that was the case, okay. which I don't, of course. She doesn't think it's natural. So the idea, let's talk first about the idea that it was made in a laboratory. Susan, what are your thoughts on okay, that? Okay, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I think a lot of emails as well. Taken um, superhuman powers to make it in a laboratory because uh, as we were just chit-chatting about, I, don't, I think we, despite everything that we've done with SARS-CoV-2, I don't think that anybody knows on like kind of molecular level why it spreads the way it does or why it behaves the way it does. So the idea that any mad scientist could design it seems really, to me, seems quite ridiculous. Okay. Uh, well, juxtaposed. Just, yeah, let's just uh, just one more time. Let's uh, let's go back and read this one more time. <laughs> the same the same human being that just said it's it's natural. That's mad. No mad scientist made this. Said so for me. The only the only significance of this furin site is as a marker for where the virus came from. Frightening to think it may have been engineered. This is the same person. It's a very chilling idea. So that's what she was saying privately. And what, what I haven't listed here is that I, what I didn't show is the, um, is the paper that they actually wrote. But the paper that they actually ended up writing, the... the uh, the tentative title of it was Tackling Rumors of a Suspicious Origin of NCOVE 2019. So they're writing an article to disprove this or to attack this notion that it could have come from the lab. But these but the authors are privately are saying, wow, it looks like it came from the lab. Yeah, but that, and that's that's as close as an abuse to or full abuse of the scientific method as you can get, literally spiking the data when, or, or the, the publishing realm, when you think differently in order to maintain narrative. That wasn't science. That was not science. So, so, so yes, Susan, yes, Vincent, it's not just the proximal origin, which, by the way, we obviously have the complete evidence that all four of the five article authors, excluding Ian Lipkin, um, who wasn't part of the initial discussions, all four of the other authors, we also have emails where they're talking about how they believe it wasn't natural. So then Shan Lu Liu tells her um, he received some information from China. Susan, I've looked at carefully the RATG13 sequence, and it, it is unlikely from it, which I think we'd all agree, but we cannot rule out the possibility of other bat viruses from the lab. The Wuhan has many bat samples not yet worked out or results published. There are some concerns, and he's hearing this from China, that some of their samples may not have been handled properly and leaked out of the lab, but just the possibility. Right now, it's hard to say an intermediate host or directly from bats, I guess. And then here we go. And then another one. This was the response to the second 
uh, Susan Weiss email. Susan, I completely agree with you, but rumor says that fear and sight may be engineered. Importantly, the virus RNA sequence around the furin site, 288 nucleotides before and after, has 6.6% differences, but with no amino acid changes at all. Um, I, I don't want to get too much into the science, but what I want the people, people to understand is that Susan Weiss knows what this means. And Vincent Racanello knows what this means. And they're lying to you as they're sitting here on this video. That's, that's ultimately the point that needs to be made here. Um, the, the other thing that is sort of magical thinking is that you can just think of a virus and, design, and make it like de novo. You have to have a template to start with. You have to um, have this is a straw man right? argument that she's pushing right here. And that I would say it's just to bamboozle the, the public. Um, <clears throat> No one is saying. Absolutely. No one is saying um, what she's saying. Um, we are talking about um, known well, bio warfare. You take known agents and you tweak them for your desired ends. And this this line of argumentation has to be dismissed and dismissed vigorously when they try to bring it up. Yes. Um, the, the claim that this virus was made from nothing is ridiculous, as Kevin just stated. And no one has said that, because it's, and it's unnecessary. You don't need to make this from, from nothing, because nature has already produced something. So all you really need to do is make tiny manipulations. So she literally just said something that is completely ridiculous, that no scientist cares about because it's, it's not even part of the discussion. But the reason that she said it is to give the impression to the public to further this idea that it could not have come from a lab, when what she said has nothing to do with, it, with the actual lab argument at all. A genome to copy, and then you can modify it as, as you like. You wouldn't, might not know how to modify it, but you could modify it. But you would have to have the starting material. And as far as we know, there's no other virus reported that is similar enough to have been just tweaked into SARS. So the other thing that they'll say is that there's no virus that's closely similar enough. But the closest viruses are between uh, 4 to 5% different. What the public needs to understand, and what Vincent needs us needs to understand about us is that we know that what we're really talking about here, what most likely occurred is a consensus sequence was, was made. And in a consensus sequence, which they talked about in various research projects over time, what you end up with is you take different parts of, of different viruses and by design, you end up with a virus that is approximately 95 to 96% the same as something else. So simply by the creation of a consensus sequence, whether it's, whether it's just a part of the genome that's consensus, and then they, they send it off to be produced, or there's a whole bunch of different things that could happen. But the bottom line is, is that there doesn't need to be a virus closer than 96%. Because if the virus was manipulated in the lab, 
then there is no intermediate between that. It's simply, it's more than likely a consensus sequence. And they know this. But once again, this is a lie meant to misdirect. So for those reasons, I think that it's, um, it's just not plausible at all. So as you mentioned in, in when you introduced me, I made the first right. infectious DNA of an RNA animal virus. And in all the years we worked on it, it, it just is very difficult to modify viruses in any That's way right. at all. And I think if you don't have a history of doing that, you don't appreciate that. Right. For any virologist who has since modified uh, DNA copies of viruses, it just and, doesn't work most of the time. And a coronavirus is about four times the length of, of yeah. polio. So if polio is difficult to manipulate, think how much more. Okay, we, we, we need to pause a little bit there. Um, it's routine science now to be building out these DNA clones of viruses. This is the critical point that everyone needs to understand and why there's been such outrage, I think, among scientists who want to push back against this, that there's, the science is well established. The idea that they can systematically change in and out segments of the genome, like the spike protein, and make chimeras forms the basis of endless research projects. And again, the Department of Defense, the NIH, NIAID, and other institutions pour hundreds of millions of dollars into that particular technique. The way that he's addressing this, that it's, oh, it's a, a fluke that you, you might be able to induce some particular change um, with your molecular cloning. Um, again, this is misdirection. Um, it, they're, they're trying desperately to cover and obfuscate their tracks in this. I do want to say something, but I want to wait until I hear him say specifically what I know he's going to say here in a minute. Or any coronavirus. A few um, prominent individuals have gone on record saying that the furin cleavage site is a smoking gun for being made in a laboratory, which of course it's not. But okay, that's it. That's okay, and that's what I wanted to wait for. So Vincent Racaniello is one of two people who created the the first methods of of basically um, being able to uh, man I'm having a brain fart at the moment now but um, help me out here <laughs> um, the recombinant DNA technology the rec yeah, re yeah. recombinant DNA so he he is one of two people that that invented the very first methods of doing that. The other person is a man named David Baltimore. And David Baltimore is one of the experts that he, ref that he mentions. And in fact, it was David Baltimore specifically who said the furin cleavage site is a smoking gun that this virus, the, 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 where it is, the, the construction of it, uh, and the surroundings of it, it it's a smoking gun. In fact, I remember David Baltimore. Like the quote was, he was sitting in the kitchen, and he stood and he and he told his wife, "This is a smoking gun. That this virus isn't natural." 
I believe that was the quote in uh, whatever the article was. Um, and what I want people to understand is that David Baltimore, the same year that he and I, I believe it's, it's the same the same exact year that he invented this this technique of recombinant DNA, is either the same year or the year after ish that he won the Nobel Prize for previously um, identifying and elucidating. Uh, the reverse transcriptase that, that makes retroviruses, the, the part of the virus that allows it to integrate itself into the genome of a, of a, of a being, of a life, of a cell that it infects. And um, that's what makes it a retrovirus. And the most famous retrovirus, of course, is HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. So... So David Baltimore is not just some random expert. David Baltimore was the partner of Vincent Racanello, this person on screen right here. He was the partner, and the partner of this man right here who won the Nobel Prize says that the Fear and Cleavage site is a smoking gun, whereas his, his junior lab partner, this man who sits here in front of you, says that it that's ridiculous. I can tell you who I believe, and it's not Vincent Racaniello. It's another kind of bone to pick, I think, because furin sites were described in coronaviruses in the late 70s by K. Holmes. The, the spike protein was shown to have a furin site. Not all, uh, this is in mouse hepatitis virus, and for mouse hepatitis virus, most Isolates have a furin site, some do not. Mm -hmm. The one that does not is, is highly infectious for mice. So at least in the context of MHV, I think that, it, or it looks like, the, the strains that have a furin site need it. The strains that don't have it don't need it. And even when we made mutants of this strain that has it... Oh, wait, um, stop, it stop. So they were, they were able to get in there and selectively edit those furin cleavage sites? So I thought that was impossible. Just, uh... well, she she just said a minute ago that that was that was ridiculous that that's mad scientist type mm. stuff. She literally <laughs> said that, and then five minutes later, she's talking about how that's exactly what they were doing. We need some body language yeah. experts here. Just to... <laughs> yeah, there there's so much to dissect here, but that's because almost all of it isn't. It's not just obfuscation. A lot of this is out and out lying. Mm. If this and this is the difference. And, and once again, I want to speak to Vincent and to Christian Anderson and to Eddie Holmes. I want them to understand that this is perjury in a court of law. And I'm willing to argue that you're lying right now. So if, if you want, you can sue me. You can sue me and say that I'm slandering you. Go ahead. I welcome it. Bring the Please. science into the court. Bring the science into the courtroom. And the emails. But just understand that once again, as I said in the beginning, everything that I'm saying and that Kevin is saying, we have already begun the process of putting together stuff, te testimony, sworn testimony for grand jury hearings. So while this... While this mumbo-jumbo um, obfuscation may work, continue to work for the public as long as, as long as censorship continues to support you, 
The science does not support you. And no, I, I and Kevin and others will be testifying against you because we know that what you're saying is a lie. And your institutes will not protect you after we're done. This is okay. this will be the end result. And they're confident right now that they've got the um, the institute's protection. Um, that will not be the case. That's correct. And could cause quite severe disease. Mm. So, in the case of SARS-CoV-2, I think if if it's if the furin site is lost, it does become less pathogenic. But that's because it evolved to have one. SARS-1 is perfectly. That's incorrect. It didn't evolve to have one because it was inserted. But the problem with the insert, so that means it wasn't a mutation; it was a recombination. However, it cannot be a recombination because there is no virus that's close enough to it that has a furin cleavage site that could have given it to it. So on the molecular level, it could not have mutated. And in the phylogenetic tree, there's nothing that could, it could have received the furin cleavage site from. And also, this particular furin cleavage site isn't, isn't what you would see in other coronaviruses. It's quite different. However, it is exactly the same as a furin cleavage site that was tested as part of cystic fibrosis research at the University of North Carolina starting in the late 1990s. Pathogenic without it. So right. to me, it's kind of a, a really an, a non-starter. And, and the idea that someone took it from HIV and put it into coronavirus. Okay, that's... Coronavirus is... um, that's another straw man argument that she put in there. Um, and again... Sure. I, I would just say this to people that people that watch this, these people have planned this presentation that they've given a, I presume it's Penn State. Um, they have planned this meticulously. And I can assure you, if we got hold of their private, no, they, they won't do this over official emails anymore. Um, Not anymore, no. But I can assure you the way that they've taken the discussion and the way that they're inserting Again, all these misdirections, all these straw men arguments, they have planned every sentence that they're saying right now. This is on purpose. And, and, and this is why. And once again, I hope Vincent and Susan are paying attention. Because Susan, in her February 2020 article, one of the main things they addressed was the Pradhan et al. argument regarding four inserts that appeared to come from four different strains and three different clades of HIV. <clears throat> and the arguments that she made were oh, oh, that this paper, this paper leaned on arguments from another paper that had just been published um, in the same Emerging Microbes and Infections journal, which was completely run by the Chinese editors. And it was used throughout the pandemic, and I've tracked all of this, and provided it to Congress. But emerging microbes and infections was the most egregious example of a journal being weaponized against a lab origin theory. And I have all the receipts to prove it. It was the, it's the most egregious example outside of the top six journals. The top six being the Lancet, Nature, Science, New England Journal of Medicine, Cell, and... Um, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So outside of those six, which were almost wholly controlled by Fauci 
who who is pressuring the editors. And yes, I have receipts uh, that's, for that That's as well. putting it mildly, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, I have receipts. In fact, in the article after after the one on my Prometheus Shrug Substack, I show, I go through every single article that touches on the origin at all. And it was completely one-sided. And I will say that as of March of this year, remember, if I remember correctly, there were 129 articles. There, were, there was 100. And, uh, I don't actually. I don't want to. I don't want to get the numbers without looking at the the sheet. And I don't have it pulled up. But only seven out of more than 200 articles that in any way uh, reference the origin of SARS-CoV-2. Only seven in the top six journals, even remotely allowed for the possibility that it could have come from a lab, even though in every other form of media, television, all of the other journals, news commentaries, newspapers, that is, uh, magazines, Substack and other blogs, in every other form of media, the lab origin hypothesis since at least the summer of 2020 has had a two-to-one margin in terms of articles favoring that versus the other and they, well, even they, their emails simple they, even well, their emails well, even they believed it even yeah. they believed it but but they wrote the opposite but but it, the reasoning is simple it's because all of the evidence keeps pointing in that direction and they keep they keep lying and saying that that there is no evidence which is ridiculous because this isn't a court of public opinion case very soon this is going to be a common law court case and it's going to start with the grand jury hearing and when it gets to an actual federal case the standard of evidence is beyond a reasonable doubt and typically the the typically that's 95 to 98 percent or above using a bayesian analysis and i don't have to do the math i already know for a fact what that Bayesian analysis is going to say when it comes time for the science to actually be put down on the table. Because not only do I know Dr. Quay, but we found so much more evidence since then. So this isn't even a question. We have enough circumstantial evidence to already prove beyond a reasonable doubt in any court, any common law court in the United States or in England, that uh, this virus is not natural. And, and until such time as they provide actual evidence, instead of just lying about and trying to, to obfuscate, um, there's no reason to assume that there's going to be a different re reaction. But once again, I'm going to testify under oath, and I look forward to seeing uh, Susan defend her case if she, if she, belie if she truly believes it. I, I, I look forward to seeing her defend it under oath as well before we ever heard of HIV. So it's, it's kind of a backward, backward thinking. So, oh, oh, oh my gosh, how did I forget? So, so you kind of run into a problem, my, my Zunati friends, because you don't know who I am, but in addition to Diffuse, in addition to researching the censorship, which is the first major thing I did, and discovering the, the links between Fauci and that censorship, um, I've also spent the last year looking into these 
HIV inserts. And because I'm also the person who worked with Major Murphy to bring Diffuse to the public, I, I'm also very quite aware of the fact that within that proposal, what they wanted to do was create a virus that not only had a furin cleavage site, but could utilize the DC sign receptors, dendritic cells, hitch a ride through dendritic cells that would come to the lungs, take them to the lymph nodes, and then, and then directly infect T lymphocyte cells. Well, guess what other virus does that? HIV. Guess, guess what epitopes HIV uses in its, um, in its, um, in its variable loops? I want to say it's two, three, and five. Well, it just so happens to be the same ones, but in different variable loops, but a similar configuration in, in three dimensions in SARS-CoV-2. So I'm not I'm not saying that that it came from HIV, but I am saying that that Susan Weiss lied in her paper, and I, I believe February thirteenth. But I could be wrong on the date. But she lied in that paper. She and Linda Safe and Shen Liliu and all those other authors, along with ghost, uh, Ralph Barrick, who's ghost writing that article, and Shi Jing Li, who took out a section related to humanized mice. Same paper. Um, one of the things they talked about and dismissed were these HIV inserts. And I would recommend that they go back and look at those again, because those HIV inserts, if they're not HIV, then it's strange that they produce the same antibodies as HIV. So, so once again, you don't know who I am, but unfortunately for you, Myself, Kevin, and others that I've been working with from Drastic and elsewhere, and Jicky, a whole host of people, Walter Chestnut, all these scientists and, and citizen scientists who are doing the work that you wouldn't do or that you were trying to hide. But we have been continuing to do it, and we have the evidence. So unless you can find another reason why, why SARS-CoV-2 produces the same antibodies as HIV's DC sign receptors do, I would suggest not rejecting out of hand and continuing to lie about those HIV, potential HIV inserts. The idea yeah. that you could have put a furin site in requires that you have something close to SARS-CoV-2 to begin with. Right, and in, in fact, if you stick a furin site where it doesn't belong, it may, it may have the opposite effect. It may give you a dead virus. Oh, that's, that's well, just... <laughs> just in light of those emails, like to, for me to be watching what, you know, what I, again... I've been on stages having discussions and for me, for someone to be bold faced lying in this, it's, it's jaw dropping to watch. And I, I'm, I'll let you come on. Well, well, once again, folks, I'm not a scientist. I am a WMD professional and I've come at this from the perspective of trying to mitigate a risk, uh, to mitigate a catastrophe that has been inflicted upon us. And, um, but what I do know after reading several thousand scientific papers is that she's wrong. Because first of all, the, the cleavage site, where the furin cleavage site appears, was a, was a natural, very attractive cleavage site, even if 
the furin cleavage site itself hadn't been present. It was the natural spot for S1 and S2 um, to be separated. And we know that. And if she had read Luc Montagnier and Jean-Claude Perez's papers, or any one of an, another set of papers, they could have told her that. Because Luc Montagnier said that himself, that there, it didn't need this furin cleavage site because it could it could have done it effectively without it. And by the way, Luc Montagnier, I trust his judgment uh, when it comes to furin cleavage sites and HIV because he's the Nobel Prize winning discoverer of the HIV-1 virus. But to be very but clear as well, um, the furin cleavage site, that particular furin cleavage site, massively increases the tropism of this quote-unquote respiratory virus. This is suspicious in and of itself. And again, these people brushing over it as if it's just um, a fluke of nature that it has this body-wide tropism, including the central nervous system. And DC sign, of course, is important for microglia and the brain's immune system as well. And these people, to keep dismissing it and pretending it's a nothing burger is um it, it's an insult to the people that fund their positions to the people that basically allow them this privileged lifestyle that they lead right now and this has to end each each of the people on this panel makes six figures easily in fact probably close probably closer to 200,000 if i had to guess or more and um most of that money is funded by taxpayers. And yet, none of the people on this stage have, have talked about these things in terms of trying to find solutions to the problems that they create, and specifically with long COVID, for instance. So it's I, I can't use the word disingenuous because whatever this is is, is significantly worse than that. But once again, I... I want the public to understand, and I want them to understand that we know that they're full of shit. And we know the science. And so they can say whatever they want, and they're going to continue to do it. But one day, in a courtroom, they're going Same. to have to defend this under oath. Soon. Under oath. And I look forward to it. Why? Because this isn't about money. This isn't about saving and protecting virology and from from having money poached from it. This is about protecting gain-to-function research. This is about millions of people who've died. Millions. And it doesn't matter exactly how they died. It doesn't matter if they died in a hospital on a ventilator or from the virus or 10 years from now from post-acute sequelae of COVID. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that they knew at the very beginning about the furin cleavage site, they knew about these other epitopes, and they hid them from the public on purpose. And by the way, I have proven that already. I have provided that evidence to Congress. I have provided that evidence for testimony, and I will swear that under oath, because I know for a fact they hid the existence of these epitopes. And, and for them to continue to deny and diminish those epitopes three and a half years later, when millions of people are suffering from the effects of the very things that they hid, is it's horrific. Well said. 
I, I don't think that mm. it's predictable. The idea that I know there's this thing floating around about the, the grant proposal that was to put furin sites into viruses may or may not have. I have bad news. I have bad news. So we're not, we're obviously not going to get through all of this, but that's okay. Even if we only get through 20 minutes, because there's just so much. Literally every five seconds, they're saying something that's untrue or something that's, that's minimizing something that they don't want to talk about. This entire, this entire panel discussion is all about preemptive strike to minimize what presumably more intelligence is going to be released in the next few days uh, per President Biden's um, response to Congress. And, um, and also to all the evidence that's come this far. And once again, I want to reiterate that I'm just some random Marine, but I'm also the person who worked with Major Murphy to bring the diffuse proposal to the public. And I know that EcoHealth Alliance sought to hide it. I know that the intelligence community sought to hide it. In fact, we're not gonna be able to get to it because <laughs> we're just not gonna have time. So I'm just going to say it now. A little bit later on, the, the FBI, former FBI agent of, of several decades service, is going to be talking. And he's going to be talking about the intelligence assessments related to this virus, which, of course, he doesn't actually know anything about because he's retired and he doesn't have access to any of this information. Well, I know some classified information <clears throat> because the diffuse proposal was on JWICS the top secret classified server used by the Defense Intelligence Agency and also shared with the FBI, where he used to work, and the CIA. And we can presume anybody else that wanted to look at it. So the diffuse proposal that they're talking about, um, we have intelligence that that work did continue. And more evidence of that will be released shortly. Just like we have evidence that some of the scientists that were named in the diffuse proposal got sick, because I'm pretty sure that Ben Hu is one of those scientists. So they can say whatever they want, but the diffuse proposal was a document that was never meant to be shared, and it, in a court of law, Susan, in a court of law, Vincent, that is proof of intent. It's proof, because it already exists. It's already been validated as a document, as a real document that was sent by EcoHealth Alliance to DARPA. Well, let's, let's be clear as well. Proof of in, well, yeah, but uh, let me uh, just say this. It's proof of intent, which means that it doesn't matter if there was no virus. It doesn't matter if, it, literally, if the no virus people were correct and the entire pandemic was faked. That is still proof of intent, proof of conspiracy. Because... It's the intent to commit a crime that they're that they've been lying about ever since. That Fauci has lied about to Congress. It was proof they wanted to do exactly what what Dr. Fauci said they didn't want to do. And, I'm sorry. I, yeah. No, I, I just want people to be clear as well. This doesn't just all rest on diffuse proposal either. There are NIH nope. grants Absolutely. which literally lay out the same. Um, steps in the research that they wished to do, which was to look at fearing cleavage sites and swap out um, spike proteins. And this is, uh, there is a paper trail, a mile long would be putting it mildly, but 
um, again, the way that they're talking, this highly dismissive tone, that they're desperately trying to maintain uh, their grip on the narrative here and there, whatever it is, 100,000 people that tune in to listen to these people. These people are actively lying. I don't know if it's scientific perjury. It's just perjury. But this this is... Um, it, it's a crime against humanity. That's that's the level that we're at right now, and these people are, have walked directly into Nuremberg trial type investigation that's coming their way. It's that simple. Yes, and I was actually I was just now looking for the the timestamps, and and they disappeared. Um, but but yes, they can lie all they want to. In public, but I want to see what they say when they're under oath, because we have the evidence. And and so, if you can imagine, um, I mean, I mean, Kevin obviously knows this. Your, the listeners obviously know this, but uh, you know, Vincent might not, Christian Anderson might not. But what they don't know is that um, the same week that we published a diffuse proposal. My wife's best friend, who was 26 at the time, the best, she was the maid of honor at our wedding. She went into the hospital with the Delta variant of COVID, went on a ventilator, was given remdesivir, and died two days after we, we released the diffuse proposal. We released it on, December, on September 20th. We released the full documents on the 21st after we released the analysis at first. And then she died on the 22nd. And so, because we happened to be driving back to Virginia for the funeral, during that visit was when I met congressional investigators in person for the first time. I'd already been talking to them. And what, what I want people to understand is that this is real, is that the decisions that were made by virologists, for which we have massive amounts of evidence and for which they have attempted to hide. They've gone to incredible links to hide all of these connections. We've put them together. And I already knew, I already knew before by September 22nd that the intelligence community had lied to the American people because I, because I, I had already seen the diffuse proposal. I knew it had come from the classified servers, I know that it had been put there during the nine-day day window, which means that someone in the intelligence community took the documents from DARPA, put it on the highest classification server that they could during the middle of the investigation, and then in neither the unclassified nor the classified version of the report that they gave to President Biden, did they mention it at all? which is strange because in a court of law, that's proof of intent, which means that they were hiding evidence. They were trying to destroy evidence. They were trying to hide evidence. You could call it spoliation of evidence. You could call it obstruction of justice. I don't really care what you call it. But that was 18 months already into the pandemic. And we had, and an American hero had to risk his career and his freedom to get those documents to me so that I could release them. And 18 months of the pandemic that never should have happened in the first place, 
my wife's best friend died when she was 26. And by that point, already more than half a million Americans had died of whatever cause. So as a, as a consequence this of this research, let's let's frame it correctly. As a consequence of this type of um, merged function research, uh, I was going to say biowarfare medical countermeasures research, which is where these people are getting the majority of their money. Because of those programs, there have been significant consequences and harm on many families, not just in America, across the globe, because of these people, and they know it. They you know, know it. it. And they're trying and to... And I to... can prove it. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's see what else you've got to say about diffuse, because this is... Even helped the virus. It may have killed the virus. Yeah, so what you're referring to is, I think, a EcoHealth Alliance NIH application, which talked about putting furin sites, right. but was never funded. Was never funded. And... Stop. He's wrong there. He's, he's, he's lying. He's lying. He knows that it's a um, uh, DITRA... Uh, or was it DARPA? It's DARPA. Um, specific grant. Again, trying to minimize it by saying, oh, it was just NIH, it's just EcoHealth. Um, that was an active lie on his behalf. There's no way he did not know the details of the diffuse proposal there. Well, right after this, they mentioned the annual reports. And I I know the annual reports very well uh, for the both the USAID PREDICT program and for the uh, NIH version that kind of ran a parallel to it. So those two sources of money were what was pulled from to fund, in part, uh, the WIV research on these things. And of course, we assume that the Chinese were doing their own research as well. But what people need to understand is that 80% of the work that needed to be done as part of the um, of the first set of goals in the diffuse proposal were already being done in those other two grants. In fact, the, the, the list of individuals and their responsibilities as listed in the diffuse proposal is between 80 and 90%, depending on which grants you're looking at, this exactly identical as the work they were already doing. So all of the stage one research and development and things that they were doing was had already been worked on for five years or more, depending on whether which grant it was, because one had been going for nearly ten years by that point. So to say that that this that this work wasn't done, they literally all they had to do was just add a urine cleavage site. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think EcoHealth Alliance or China needed the extra $14 million to do that one additional step. Now, granted, there was, there was other steps, but, um, but, but the bottom line is, is they had everything there. They had the personnel, and the only personnel that weren't, that weren't part of the previous two grants were part of the BAT aerosol programs that personally I don't even think it was a serious thing anyway it, and it was completely unnecessary because they were because the rest of the research they were doing really wasn't even tied to that at all so this concept that it wasn't funded is absolutely ridiculous and I believe 
that the some of the intelligence that's about to come out is going to refute that even further. And and I, I can't I, I can't say too much more publicly, but what I can say is that Major Murphy and DARPA have not released all the information that Major Murphy or DARPA knows. Okay. There's more. So all of this that they're saying right now is lies and obfuscation. Kabuki. It was funded. I don't Kabuki care if they did theater, the experiments yes. or not. Me neither. It, you, you didn't have SARS-CoV-2 close enough to, to no, modify it, right? It didn't, That's it, it, it's ridiculous, really. But then if you make this kind of argument, the naysayers, who let's call them the lab leakers, will say, well, how do you know someone didn't have SARS-CoV-2 somewhere in some laboratory? That's something you really can't 100% know. But I, I, th I think personally, if it had been in the Wuhan lab, there are enough people in that lab that, that it would have leaked, that information would have leaked, yeah. not the virus would have leaked. Well, what was right. it being China and all? Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> information China, just flies out of their left, right, and center. Information right? just flies out. <laughs> I, I, uh, the public should also know that um, of of all five whistleblowers that I know, none of them are from the NIH. And the NIH, between its regular employees and the scientists that it funds, and and down to its janitors that that it, that it pays, it has eighteen thousand employees. And it funds hundreds of thousands of scientists all around the world. Zero whistleblowers have come from the NIH, which I find interesting. In fact, if you look at who the whistleblowers are, you learn something very interesting about the science. And my takeaway is that the science lacks the leadership and the integrity, and the courage. Why do I say that? Because who are the leakers? Major Joseph Murphy, a Marine who is serving a presidential fellowship, a highly prestigious selection. He had previously been a company commander uh, of an infantry company in a battalion on the Mew in Afghanistan. You, so you don't do that and then get selected for presidential fellowship at DARPA by being a slouch. We're talking about one of the best officers in the Marine Corps. And I could have told you that before I even knew him. So that's one. You have Andrew Huff, who, by the way, had been a former Army soldier who fought in Afghanistan, who fought in, Af in Iraq. And he had the courage to stand up, a whistleblower from EcoHealth Alliance, who, by the way, had also had a Q clearance and worked, worked in the Homeland Security apparatus, but chose to come out knowing that the deep state was going to target him. And they have, and they've tormented him, and worse. And I give him a lot of credit for, for coming up because he had the courage to do it. You have... Li Ming Li Min Yang, I'm sorry, Li Ming Yan, who fled from China. Um, so that way she could be a whistleblower to tell the world about what was about bioweapons research that was taking place in China. And by the way, 
not all, but most of what she had been arguing and claiming has been has since been proven, as controversial as it was when, when she first said it. You have Brooke Jackson, who had only been working for Pfizer or a subsidiary of Pfizer on a clinical trial for about 10 days before she was fired. Why was she fired? Because she was she was hired to be a supervisor of a clinical trial site. And when she when she sent complaints to the FDA about major concerns that were happening just at her clinical trial site regarding the mRNA jab that Pfizer was creating, she was fired that same day. And then you have a, a I believe it's a civil, oh no, a, a military doctor, uh, how about I say this right, uh, Teresa Long, mm. Lieutenant Colonel Long, who came forward to say that the military had been, had been pressuring her to hide the fact and to basically to manipulate the data, the facts that there were so many vaccine injuries occurring from the universal jabs that were taking place in the military. And there have been like other like minor people, but those are the big ones. Those are the five main whistleblowers. One of them is from China. Three of them are from the military. And then one's from Texas. So uh, I'll claim that uh, a little bit at least. Um, <clears throat> we have a whistleblower from China, and we have zero whistleblowers from the NIH, from the entire scientific establishment in the entire West. So all of Europe... Which was Latin actively America, colluding. North America. Actively colluding. It's not just America. It's, it's uh, European institutes as well. We have all those emails. This is, um, it, it's a global. Zero whistleblowers. Mm. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was just going to like provide background noise. But zero whistleblowers. Zero. And 18,000. Let's, let's be very clear. You know, it's, it's come to everyone's attention that Fauci was getting double payments essentially for covering the biowarfare research that was part of the it covers so many um, military institutes but he literally sat at the head of that as well um, the... that's correct he was getting, he was getting paid four hundred thousand dollars a year base pay not including the royalties that he makes because the NIH owns 50% of the rights to the two-proline substitution and other various accoutrement pieces, relate, patents related to the mRNA jabs. So he gets royalties not just from Moderna, which worked directly with his vaccine research center, but also from Pfizer. And none of that is public knowledge. No, we, we don't know what those royalties are. We know that the total is more than $100 million, and I think that was in 2020, if I remember correct. So across the, across the NIH, they've received more than $100 million in royalties amongst like 11,000 employees. And we can assume that a healthy share of that, just based off the, with the, based off the salary distribution, which is public, we can assume that a healthy proportion of that went to uh, Fauci 
and Barney Graham and others like that as well. Disgusting. And I have another kind of thing about leaking viruses. When I, I always ask people, what do you mean that the virus leaked, right? Viruses can't get up and walk out of the room. They have to be inside of a person. And, and if you have like, you know, a mixture, say, of viruses from, from bat guano, you're going to have very small amounts of those viruses. And most of the, quote, virus in, in the bat guano is sequences, and it's not actually infectious virus. Like how Eric said, you hardly ever see infectious virus yeah. when you see genomes. So, okay, so the idea that that small amount of virus could get into a person, it's possible, but it doesn't seem that, that likely to me. Well, we're not I arguing that. We're arguing that they made a recombinant chimeric virus, and um, like I say, whoever's released it, that's probably a little ambiguous. What's not ambiguous is how these people are, are lying, and again, that was another straw man. Um, argument that they threw up there. Um, Correct. Um, right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to to find the uh, the timestamps that I had found before because I don't want this to go on forever. But I, I do want to. Well, make I mean, sure we can we can break this up into uh, different sections. Um, yeah, that's true. Maybe. Uh, may so I don't know how much. How long have we been going so far? One hour thirty minutes. Okay, so yeah, we'll continue on, but um... <laughs> well, potentially, potentially we have we have Jiao willing to come and speak to the evidence, and we can do that maybe in another stream where they're gonna where they're gonna yeah. again make appeals to raccoon dogs and markets. That that evidence has been blown out of the water in the last Absolutely. few months, and well, that does come towards the end of this um, stream. And once again, this is only an hour and 13 minutes, but there are so many lies. Yeah, we've got to 12 minutes. I think we've played like two minutes. <laughs> we've literally we've literally got to 12. We've got through 12 minutes of this. And 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 we didn't like. I, I don't have to like study for a long time in advance of watching this to prepare. OK, because I've read 25. Well, I've read more than 3000 papers. Kevin has been doing this for three years and for decades before that. Like, we know the evidence. So even though they're able to get this by the public, we are not the public. We're drastic. We're individual researchers. We've provided most of the evidence that Congress is now using and using it effectively if I may say so, and and TWIV and the Proximal Origin authors, they need to understand that um, that that these these answers aren't going to fly in a court of law, and we will be among the people that will be testifying. So if they better bring better than this, or they're going to be going to prison. So. Just my, just my own prediction. Not that I, I you know, and I'm allowed to be angry. <laughs> Everyone I'm is allowed to be angry. Everyone is. Everyone is allowed to be angry because <laughs> this, this has destroyed lives, and and I've sacrificed a lot. Kevin has sacrificed a lot. The members of Drastic have sacrificed a lot. All the whistleblowers have sacrificed a lot, and thus far. These people have sacrificed almost nothing. 
and complained every time they faced the slightest bit of pressure. I don't care about pressure. I care about the truth. So if that means that they're uncomfortable for a little while longer, then I suggest they uh, they just sit tight because it's going to get worse before it gets better. One leaked, so to speak, in the lab. Not leaked, it infected somebody in the lab. It was because they were working with it. It would be like working with an isolated virus and growing it up, mm -hmm. having enough of it that you could aerosolize it or something like that. But I think it's much less likely to just inadvertently get infected by a small amount of virus. It's not impossible. Gigi, but... have you ever looked at the, the SARS-1 lab-associated infection? What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was very different. Um, I mean, it was tragic because there's a, one researcher who got infected and, and then ended up giving uh, the virus to her mom who died. Uh, the, China acted in a very uh, different way than you know, then the lab leakers accused China of acting this time around. Um, they closed down the facility. They notified WHO. They, uh, they had a moratorium on research for some time. They, uh, they had people monitor symptoms. So, I mean, it was a very outward, transparent for them, public health response. Mm -hmm. So that was in response to the laboratory accident of SARS-CoV-1. For SARS-CoV-2, there, I mean, you, you asked, you know, how did people get this idea? I mean, we can't forget that the president of the United States- Just pause it, pause it there. Before she, before she starts on her uh, woke um, <laughs> tirade, um, there were multiple lab leaks of SARS, and there were even lab leaks of SARS-CoV-2. And the way that she's, uh, either she's, ignoring that data which i don't think she must know given her, her... She, she was explaining it but in such a way to make it sound like again minimization minimizing what it was and what's even more ridiculous is that she's now going to trash on president trump when um at the beginning of this i mentioned that that one of the things that i discovered and that Congress verified to me in person is that President Trump wasn't told about most most of all of this gain of function stuff because Dr. Fauci was working with the Office of Science and Technology Policy Chair, who doubles as the presidential science advisor, who at the time was a man named Kelvin Drogemeyer. And Kelvin Drogemeyer was working with directly with Dr. Fauci to hide the extent of the gain of function research and the ties of all that going back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology from the president of the United States and the political members of his National Security Council. And that was told to me directly by people who, who served in the administration. So <clears throat> who are going who have testified and will testify um, again about certain things. So what that means is, is that when she talks about how President Trump was making poor decisions or, or whatever, understand that President Trump didn't know. He couldn't make the best decisions because his scientific advisors that were appointed specifically to give him good advice, the same way that my job in the Marine Corps was to provide advice to my unit commander, to the combatant commander on WMD-related situations in an area of operations. His 
science advisors, his pandemic advisor, the person that he chose to lead the pandemic response, were intentionally conspiring to hide information from him. So that way he couldn't make an informed decision. And so when she says, when she talks about how Trump was saying that he was blaming it on China, he was blaming it on China because Trump had access to the same intelligence that in the next few days is going to be released after three and a half years. So today, today, she just now is going to say that President Trump was bashing China. When within 48 to 72 hours from now, a report that's released by the intelligence communities and sent to the president, we've already been given leaks about it, is going to provide the same intelligence that made Trump so sure that that virus had come from Wuhan. Which, um, you know, I, I don't, it's an open secret that, that there were free, uh, well, patient, free patient zeros, I guess, for, for want of a better expression. And that's correct. Earlier, earlier than these people would argue for with respect to wet markets and different lineages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's, that's just hear what she has to say because she, there's, there's so much woke nonsense that pours from her mouth. I think a lot of people formed their impressions of, of that just right from the, you know, that author, authoritative in their mind's source that, you know, that the, the president said so. And more recently, the Based former on CDC had testified the same thing, that it definitely came also from the Also based on intelligence. FDA. Former CDC. Oh, yeah, Redfield. Other, yes, Robert Redfield. Redfield. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so when I think when the public hears. Just stop. That the fact that they can just dismiss Redfield's testimony. Correct. Right They're now. Just, just outright dismissed. Mm. No. Now, for people who don't know, Robert Redfield is also a virologist. In fact, he was a military virologist, he was also an HIV specialist. And he says that this virus is not natural. And so not everybody on this panel is a virologist. Gigi Granval is not a virologist. I believe maybe she's a public health or epidemiologist, but she's she's more in the public health, like national defense, biodefense domain. Um, then you have an FBI agent right here who hasn't spoken yet. You have a molecular virologist, I guess. You have another coronavirologist in Susan Weiss, who's already also guilty. And then we have her boss from the University of Pennsylvania. That's who's sitting on this panel. And this panel of five people, only two of which are virologists, have just, have just completely dismissed the former head of the CDC, who was an HIV expert, who worked for Fauci, worked with Fauci, part of that whole thing, and later became the head of the CDC. And, but because he says it's a lab origin, they can just completely dismiss what he says. Again, we should, uh, we just need the meme with uh, her emails above her head right now, where she's outright saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gigi Granval said that. 
Susan Weiss said that. It, the um, the audacity of these people is stunning. Now the problem is is that um, because that they haven't been dragged into court or haven't gone to congressional hearings and testified under oath, they've they've not been held accountable for for the lies that they've said. But they will be. They will be. Once again, my name is Charles Rixey. This is Kevin McCairn. We work with Andrew Huff, with Dr. Richard Fleming, actually Dr. Andrew Huff, Dr. McCairn, Dr. Joanna Diner, and others. And we have already begun the process of, of assisting in these investigations and in these hearings because we are willing to testify under oath. Um, I'm just... Just saying. The SARS-1 incident, was that, what was the containment being done at the time, do you know? I don't recall. Um, I think it was BSL-3, but there was, an, there was, there was some uh, incorrect procedure. Um, there were a couple of different incidents with... That's correct. Uh, it was BSL-3 in Beijing, it was BSL-4 and BSL-3 in uh, Taiwan. SARS-CoV-1 in Taiwan and China, and I've uh, jumbled them together because in one case there was a problem with a filter, and somebody went to investigate mm, it and okay. got their nose, you know, real close to to where they shouldn't have. Um, but it was, you know, it was procedures that were not were not followed correctly. And in that case, they were growing large amounts of the virus in culture already. I think so. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't very at the very beginning. So that's yeah. very different from having. That's correct. It was in the fall of 2003 and in early 2004. I mean, I'm just, I'm just an illicit marine. What are Say a specimen in an animal where, right. as you said, they're, they're was... very small amounts. Rick, do you have any thoughts about these, some of these issues? Well, um, we don't really have any supporters of the lab leak hypothesis on this panel. Um, uh, very obviously. Um, just just pause it there. Um, I think the lab... Um, that's correct. Uh, That's correct. We don't. It's uh, again. This has been set up by these people, and look, it costs money to run uh, these conferences. I believe you've got to um, taxpayer money. Yes, yeah, and they've deliberately set it up, and you know, from nature, not a lab. That's that's their whole thesis, and um, we've seen how no, they're playing. I, I, I didn't even realize the title. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. And, and, you know, we're 14 minutes in and it's taken us an hour and 40 minutes to deconstruct what's been 100 lies so far and there's still an hour to go there. So I think we'll probably through this week, we'll just split this up because there's so much more in it. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe we can bring other people in for the molecular biology Particularly the raccoon dog stuff. I think that, yeah, I think, uh, I didn't realize this was going to be a series, but. Um, I think mean, it's going to have to be. There's so much, there's so I much agree. to, to. There, there, there's so much. And, and this is what's, this is the real takeaway for people who are watching this. Hopefully we can get a, a, a good big audience for this because this is incredibly important because this is us with the evidence trying to fight through the censorship and say, we know the truth. We don't know all, we don't know everything, but we know what the evidence is, and they are lying about the evidence here. They're lying. They either are lying or they just don't know and just giving the appearance of knowing. And just for example, 
a little bit later on, they'll talk about an accident that happened with um, an anthrax release in Sverdlovsk in Russia in 1979. And they will talk, and uh, Zsishi Gronval, who, by the way, is a PhD expert at Johns Hopkins University, who's considered one of the world's foremost experts on biosafety. But she but she doesn't know what happened at Sverdlovsk in 1979. Yeah, she, gets she, she, misses, she gets it completely wrong. She says there's an explosion when it was actually just there. There was a filter that they didn't replace, and she also doesn't talk about the fact that um, that most of the patients had had inhalation anthrax, not ingested anthrax, which is why we knew immediately that that it could not have been a natural outbreak because there's not really a such thing as an outbreak of anthrax because it's not transmissible in, in, in the sense that uh, most viruses. <clears throat> and you don't if you're eating tainted beef which is what the soviets said at the time you don't get inhalational anthrax you get gastrointestinal anthrax which is an entirely different set of symptoms and we knew all of this stuff at the time and the fact that she seems unfamiliar with this is disturbing but once again i know this kevin knows this, this is why we're speaking out because as we said at the beginning, we are willing and we are going to be testifying because we know what the evidence is. And we are willing to testify under oath, under threat of perjury, to, under threat of going to prison, that what they are saying right now are lies and they're covering up bioweapons programs. Spoiler alert. Lab leak hypothesis people generally don't make their own best case. So let me try. So <laughs> first, what was the origin? Um, there are lots of pandemics that are clearly known to have started with jumps from animals. No pandemic is known to have started with a lab leak. There are coronaviruses that have been found in the wild that are 90. Wait. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, they, so what they do here is in a moment, they're going to talk about the 1977 flu outbreak which was a known result of a some sort of accident. It, it was not natural. But what they're going to say is that it most likely came from a vaccine that de-attenuated. But, but, but they don't call that a lab origin or a leak or anything like that. But the, but the entire point is that it's not natural. <laughs> And that's what their pretensions are. They're sitting here saying that there's never been a pandemic of of a lab leak, but that's not really what the question is. This is a question of lab origin, not a lab leak, because a lab origin just means it came from a lab and may have been manipulated. And look, but, uh, um, could have been on purpose. And there hasn't been. You can go back twenty years, even if you went back twenty years. There just wasn't the degree of laboratories working with these recombinant technologies and now it's it's exponentially higher and the chances for something to go wrong are exponentially higher and again the the fact that these people will not look at the solid evidence like that, that well we've heard of dismissal of recombinant technology we've heard dismissal of uh evidence of intent through um, grant proposals that were, as you said, pulled off um, top secret servers. Um, 
we've had uh, Granville dismiss any type of lab accident that has resulted in um, the public being exposed. And now we're going to have this individual straw man the lab origin argument. This Correct. And he's not he he's he's like a supervisor for Susan Weiss, who we have proof that she has lied in multiple scientific papers about the origin of, of COVID nineteen. She's lied. She's she's lied about her own beliefs. She basically she basically argued in scientific papers that were published in the top journals in the world. She made arguments that she did not believe. And nobody, nobody seems to care about that, but I care about it. And you know what? Uh, my my wife's friend Caitlin cares about it. Ninety-five percent identical uh, in bats in Southern Asia. Some have been shown to infect human cells. So there's lots of reasons to think a zoonosis is likely, and none to think that a lab leak is likely. Wait, but, <laughs> but none no, none well? of those that have been found have this specific furin cleavage site in, which is the point of Correct. concern. And again, the. <clears throat> Well, you know, we're running into the straw man arguments all the time. We're getting, right. we're, in effect, they're they're playing us because it's taking us so long to get through such obvious uh, calumnies with respect to. Uh, well, the good thing about this is, I think, even though it we've only made fifteen minutes and twenty eight seconds worth of ground, this is incredibly important because. Um, because we're we're not speaking, we're not pulling this out of our rectum. We've shown the emails. We've where... shown, and we are the people. <laughs> okay, we are the researchers. We are the scientists who have found the evidence. We are the people who are sacrificing and who are willing to testify to the evidence. And so, all of their straw man arguments. Don't work with us. And it's important for the public to see in one video, to see their straw man argument, and to see our evidence. Because they've never really had all of this together in the same place at the same time before. And so, I, I mean, it's frustrating for us because we already know all this. We've been talking about this for years. But it's important for us to consolidate this and come directly at them because this is an argument that they made 12 hours ago. Yes, and th so this, 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 this is, is why we're doing this. Picture. Right, so yes. of course people who listen to us and follow us all the time have heard this, but they made this video. They, they pushed this out to the public, again, in an attempt for narrative control, and we're responding to it in as quick a fashion as possible. And, and again, I think we're going to have to do this in multiple parts because you know we're running up on two hours and um the yeah. and uh, i'm still getting used to these japanese hours here but right right but no but but I, i'm but i'm happy with that because i i think i think we've already said a lot i mean the point is, is we're firing shots and what needs to happen now is is that this, what my goal what we need this video to get more views than their video. Well, whatever that number is, that 
that's the goal that we should set. So, hey, Jicky, hey, Chris Martinson, hey, you know, Kanakanoa, hey, Ethical Skeptic, just get this out there as much as possible because this is, this is, this is truth that we're going to testify to. This is the real evidence from the real people, from primary sources who are involved in this fight. Um, I mean, I, do, do you want to, do you, you just want to go ahead and stop here kind of and uh, pause it? Do you want to go uh, further? So that, that, there's kind of a, a break here as they go into the lab leak and they talk about the uh, wet market as being the uh, ignition site for the pandemic um i think that can be a separate stream um i think it's enough yeah, in this stream that we've shown she was uh she was lying in a in this presentation with respect when you juxtapose it against her emails and they're getting very very i i, I think defensive right now because they know that there is this stream of evidence coming and like you said, there's there's more coming out in the um, coming weeks. Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. The, the reason that they're doing this now is because the next few days, the un, unclassified, well, what's supposed to happen is that all evidence related to the COVID origin in China is supposed to be released. Now, on the one hand, that's a canard because all evidence related to the origin of COVID might not be related to China. <laughs> and that, and, and we'll discuss that more, I'm sure, in other parts of this. But, but that's why they're doing this. And, I mean, the reason that I'm here in Japan with you is because we're starting to put together all these pieces and really take the flight to them. And... And I wanted to do this today because I wanted to do it on behalf, you know, of the victims, but I want also want to do it on behalf of Major Murphy, who who sacrificed a lot to bring the diffuse proposal forward. And I was disgusted by what I saw here. I want to do this on behalf of <laughs> all of us. And um I'm I'm through waiting. It's time. There's a lot of people who don't know who I am, and I don't care. That's not why I'm doing this. But it's important that they know who I am. It's mm. important that they know who you are, because we've got the we've end. got their emails showing what they were saying and thinking at the time, and that's that's as primary evidence as you can get in in this instance. And they've been lying non-stop through this through this presentation and um there's a there's a well it gets even worse for people want to want to watch the next yeah. part but there's way more mm. like we, we've we, we've covered an iota we are if you watch this stream you you should probably already be convinced that this is this is 10 percent of the evidence or less yeah Okay, so um, I'll just end it there without uh, the, <laughs> the intro. We kept it uh, somewhat, somewhat family, family friendly, I guess, if you can consider this topic family, family friendly at all. Um, so I'm just going to end the stream. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I want to say there was uh, 
Fernando, shout out to you, brother. Um, always appreciated. And uh, everyone else that tuned in, please share this because, like I say, we can. Th this juxtaposition is vitally important for people to see. To see how these people lie so easily to your camera and your face. Okay, and you've got to realize what it is that you're dealing with. And I'll add this final point. These people are not deserving of the um, rules of engagement that we've had established with respect to academia. It, it, that game is over. This, <laughs> they need to learn the hard way. And, you know, the, the gloves... They need to be held accountable. Yes, yes. And no way should they think that they can get up on stages and lie like they just did for 15 minutes, got another round, 15 minutes to go. But, um, we'll, uh, we'll say goodnight. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone.